amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, guys, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, with Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And so he said in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ would be made void. Christ didn't send me to make this complicated. Not to be clever about it, just to be straightforward. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. Paul said here, I didn't come to preach in cleverness that the cross of Christ would be made void. Clever preaching just voids the cross just gets the attention off of the real deal. When you're bit by sin in this world, you need the true cure to that sin, and the only cure is the cross. God said, this is my provision. Look right here. They're already bit by sin. We all are. I never have to really persuade people that we have sin. It's like they all come already knowing that. It's like, what do we do about it? And I get the privilege of saying, all you gotta do is look to Christ, he's the cure. You look to him, and instantly, it's like anti-sin venom dispensed. I mean, he's the one that forgives, right? He's the one who cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So Paul says, I didn't preach to you cleverness with the gospel. I just told you the story, simple, plain, because I don't want the cross of Christ to be made void. I don't want the gospel to be watered down from what it is. It's truly power. The power of God to salvation. Now, to the person who's perishing, they're going, this is foolish. That won't work. And the people who tell me, I don't think looking to Jesus will work, I said, have you done it? We get to look to the cross and get salvation. It's the power of God to save us. But to the people who, who haven't looked, they go, ah, it's foolish. It won't really work. I'm here to stand here and tell you it does work. It does. And you know what is the coolest thing? When you decide inside that you will look to Jesus and you look to him and you realize he did that for you, you're included. And that sinks into your heart. Man, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like a weight is lifted off of you. When you go to him and say, you paid for my sin? Okay, take it. Take it away. And the Lord goes, done. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, though our sin be as scarlet, he makes it white as snow. It says in the Psalms that he takes our sin and he removes it as far as the east is from the west. Not in a circle, guys, in a straight line, infinity. That's how far he takes my sin and removes it from me. Pew! You talk about a strong throwing arm. He's like, give me that sin, is wads it up. See ya. And sends it forever away from me. Now, it says to never be remembered again. There's another Psalm that says he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. When you look to Jesus, Jesus goes, let me take away that. All that guilt, all that shame, all that hurt, he removes it and he chucks it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. But the Lord, the good Lord says, he wants to take away our sin. Can any of you remember that day, that sweet day when you finally looked to the cross? How good did it feel to know your sin was washed away completely? There's nothing. Jesus erased it all. How good does that feel? David, when he got into sin with Bathsheba, 
he, he did some pretty bad things to try to cover that. So he actually got her husband killed for his own sin. And then we read in Psalm 51, in verse 10, that he finally cries out, Lord, create in me a clean heart. He knew his heart had become polluted. He said, create in me a clean heart and take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. Don't take your spirit from me. I need that. And restore unto me the joy of his salvation. He's like, cast me not away from your presence, Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me and restore that joy, that joy that we get. And the people who have not looked to Jesus, they don't understand what we're talking about. When we say there is the sweetest, greatest joy that you will ever taste in this life, I tell you, the joy of knowing your sins are done. They are erased completely. Man, you talk about inside what it does for you. It just like, oh, that's gone. Jesus paid for it. Didn't mean it didn't happen. Didn't mean it didn't hurt. But he bared the guilt and the penalty for all of our mistakes. When he became that lamb of God to take away, not to cover up the sins of the world, to take them away. That's the gospel. That's how easy it is. Pretty good news, huh? He came to take away our sins. Now, Paul is telling this little church, this is the importance of the gospel. You know, you guys are a light in a dark place. You don't have to be clever. Listen to verse 19. He quotes actually from Isaiah 20. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Now, I want you guys, if you don't mind, turn to Isaiah 20. Paul is definitely a master of the scripture. It's obvious. The more you read the writings of Paul in the New Testament, you know this guy had the Old Testament down. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, schooled under Gamaliel. He was a student of the word. They didn't call Old Testament then. They just call them the Jewish scriptures. The New Testament gets added after Christ comes to this world. But before that, everything leading up, they already had these books. And the prophet Isaiah, he says, let me start with verse 11. Isaiah 29. He says here, the entire vision will be to you like words of a sealed book which when they give it to the one who is literate, saying, please read this, he will say, I can't, because it's sealed. And the book will be given to the illiterate, and they'll say, I can't, because I can't read. Here's the words of the Lord, but nobody gets it. Have you ever shared with somebody something about the Lord, and they just look at you like deer in headlight look, like, huh? What are you talking about? He says, don't worry. This is how the word of the Lord comes to people sometimes. It comes to them and they go, I can't read it. Or even if I could, I don't get it. In verse 13, then the Lord says, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts. He says, their hearts are far from me. And their reverence for me consists only of traditions what are learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously, marvelously, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. And woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and whose deeds are done in dark places. They say, who sees us? Who knows? Like, I can get away with anything. God doesn't even know. And what's Isaiah the prophet say in verse 16? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal to the clay? Or has what has been made say to its maker, He didn't make me. Or who is formed say to him who formed it, 
He doesn't understand. He has no understanding. He doesn't even know. Yet, do people do this? God doesn't know. He has no understanding. Isaiah says, that's stupid. Well, no, he didn't say I said that. It is stupid. The thing that has been made by the maker is saying to the maker, you don't have any understanding. Let me see. Have you made any life in all the earth and the universe and all that it contains in six days? When you think about how awesome the universe is, every day they're discovering new things about our universe, how great it is, how big it is. And you think, the Lord made all of that in six days. And the seventh day he rested. I think he's got a lot going upstairs if you can make everything in six days. And I know some people, are, well, it's not really a literal six days. It's like a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. It was God's day, so it was probably a thousand years. It took him 6,000 years to make everything. Really? Could you make it in 6,000 years? First of all, I couldn't live 6,000, so we got a bit of a problem. But if you want to hold to something like that, Isaiah would say, professing to be wise, they become fools. Turn back with me. This is the passage that Paul is quoting from. Now, not that the church at Corinth might know this, but the good Jews would know this. That this is the part where Isaiah says, here's the book. Here, can you read it to us? And they go, um, it's sealed. I can't. Or I can't read. You just can't get it. And it's funny how sometimes the things of the Lord, you're going to tell some people about things of the Lord, and they're going to look at you like you are stupid. I don't get it. How can looking at a cross just magically take away your sins? To the one who doesn't have enough faith to look, is it going to work for them? No. I hope I somehow can persuade them not to be that stubborn. But sometimes you share with people and they're like, I ain't going to look. I don't care what you say. I don't care how good you say it is. I don't care how nice it feels to have your sins washed away. I'm going to keep my sins and hang on to them. All the guilt, all the shame, it's mine. I earned it. Go ahead, walla in it. I don't find that as any great boast, do you? Sin messes up people. But Jesus came to free them. And listen to this, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians. Where is the wise man? Paul says, where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, it did not come to know God. And God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks, they search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Bible says his lowest basis thought, his most simplest, easiest thought for God to think, down at the bottom of the range, is higher than man's highest thought. God's lowest thoughts up here, and we can't even get up to it. And if you can't accept that, I'm sorry, but you want some God that you're like on equal plane with, or that you're greater than, then that's not really God. You have created an idol for yourself. Because the Bible declares that we have a maker that is greater than all of us. We're just the clay. He's the potter. 
and he gets to choose how to make us. And in his wisdom, he made the gospel so simple that nobody can get excluded. You don't have to have some special skills. Everyone is welcome to look to Jesus. You say, well, what about the guy who's blind? Are we talking about physical looking? No. It's with the eyes of the Spirit. With the ears the Spirit of God gave you. Jesus would end his sermons. He'd say, let those that have an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. You have eyes, the spiritual eyes of your being. God has created you with a living Spirit inside you. And your Spirit, it is made for eternity. And God wants you to spend it with Him in paradise. All you have to do is look to His provision for your salvation. And that's Jesus. Plain and simple. And He made it so simple that to the world they go, that's just too simple. What's the catch? What do I have to give? Or what do you do to earn it? You can't. It's a gift. The only thing you can do to get a gift is receive it. And God made it so that nobody else can boast over another person. Well, I received it better than you received it. Come on, we both received it. Quit acting like we're some special guys who received it better than the other guys. It's a gift. We all put our hands out and said, I'll take it. And it was ours. That was it. God just said, here you go. And it's so simple. It's like nobody's excluded. Everyone is welcome to get this gift. All they got to do is say, I'll take it. And God goes, there you go. He is waiting to give salvation to any, any who will come to him. He's here. I give you everlasting life. It's a gift. Now, it's a valuable gift. Just because it is given by God freely to us didn't mean it was free to him. It cost him the life of his only begotten son to make that gift free for you. It was paid with a huge price. But it's valuable. And if we would just treat it like it's valuable, if we would just tell people, you don't get it, this is the most valuable thing ever. It is so good. It says here in verse 25, because of the foolishness of God, that it is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, he says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many that were wise according to the flesh, not many that were mighty, not many that were noble, but instead, God has chosen... Here's my qualifications for the ministry. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. He's chosen the base things of this world and the despised. God has chosen that the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Here's how you get to be uh, qualified for the ministry. You might as well suck it up, pastors, if you think you're great. We only got the job because God uses the foolish things of the world. I mean, this will be a blow to some pastors' egos, but not mine. I already know. And I tell people this, they're like, oh, you shouldn't talk like that about yourself, pastor. You really got it together. No, God has it together, and he helps me hold on by my fingernails sometimes just to get by. And he's the one that really gets the credit for keeping it together. I don't have it together. I have a God who has it together. Now, I don't mind telling you that because there are others who are hurting who need to know how great he is. And if you act like you're the one that's all great, you're doing a disservice to the cross of Christ. 
You're not pointing people to the place where they can get the help that you got. Your glory hog is what you are. And taking away God's glory from his son and trying to somehow get a pat on your back. Oh, look at me. I'm on the team. Like somehow God needed you on his team. This is not the playground when we were little playing dodgeball. And everybody went, oh man, let's get all the best guys on our team. Did any of you ever get picked last? Because there was these other athletic folks that got picked before you. And you just like, oh no, we got like five duds on the team today. We're going to lose for sure. When God picks the team, he goes, give me all the duds. Twelve of them. One of them betrays him. One of them denies him. They all don't really hang out when he goes to the cross. They get a little skittish. You read the story. They're not a perfect one in the bunch. And yet, he was able to turn the whole world upside down. Did you read this book? I mean, these guys, Peter, they should call him Wet Socks Peter, open mouth, insert foot, because that's what he's doing most of the time. Jesus is like, I'm going to go die for everyone now. Peter's like, God forbid it. By no means, Lord, you can't do that. It's a bad plan. Where are we going to get free lunch anymore? I mean, we've been with you for three years. We get breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's great. We hear you teach about the kingdom of God. You can't go. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. You're not putting your mind on the interest of God. You're putting your mind on the interest of man. You're only worried about your stomach. Jesus, I have to go. I have to die. If I don't die, I can't save everybody. But Peter's like, no, Lord. Get behind me, Satan, he says. That's a revelation from the pit. Because Jesus knew he had to go die for us. It was prophesied from the beginning. You know, in Revelation, there's an interesting verse that says, Christ is seen as the lamb that is slain from the foundation of the world. When the world was being made, God went, you know, they're going to be messed up. And you know, some people say, well, why didn't he just make us not messed up? I mean, why did he even let there be sin? Why did he give us a free will? What if he didn't give us a free will? He said, nope, you cannot sin. You must love me. It's a mandatory. You know what he would have created, right? A bunch of robots. I mean, we would have been like, ah, yes, I love God because I have no choice. We would be forced to love him. So instead he goes, that's not real love. In Arizona, where I'm from, we actually, as pastors, had to get trained to do the weddings, and they taught us. There's a law on the books in Arizona. It's called the shotgun law. And we literally have to ask the couples when they're getting married, before we do the wedding, we have to say, is anyone coercing you, forcing you to marry this person? Because back in the days, guess what? There was people that were forced to marry at shotgun point, and they said, you marry or we kill you, and so they passed a law. It's a literal law in the books in Arizona. As a pastor, ask the people, are you coming to be married of your own free will? Or is someone forcing you to do this? I've actually had two weddings I had to stop. And the girl's like, oh, thank you. Because she was being forced. Just like you have to, of your own free will, respond to the love of God. If I could make you I would change my whole ministry style. I'd bring out a shotgun, say, you are going to get saved today. Look to the cross now before I pull the trigger. If it would really work, I would do it. Man, I'd have some kind of ministry. 
But you laugh at me because you realize that's foolish. You can't make someone get saved. But you know, if there was some way I could just tell him in love, this is the best deal you got. I mean, seriously. And really, what do you have to lose? I don't know. Do any of you guys got a good idea how to help someone who's stubborn to not be so stubborn? It's hard, isn't it? It really is. But if we could just say, look, it is worth it. How many of you were alive when Amway came out? Do you recall? Because I'm sure some of you ran into some zealous Amway at. I mean, they're still out there. And they're still going. This is what amazes me. Once you run into one, they want to convert you. Buy our soaps. Buy our so and they got good soap for the laundry anyway. I know, my wife still calls up the same guy. We know Steve. Steve, are you still doing Amway? Yeah. He always wants to sign her up. She's like, I'm not really a good salesperson. I just want to buy the soap. But if I could get the Christians to be excited about the gospel, about forgiveness, that joy of our salvation, as excited about that as the people of Amway are about their products, I think we'd have more in attendance. Because people would want to check it out. Why do people check out Amway? You see the person selling, they're like, they are into it, man. This thing's revolutionary. This will change your life. This is the best soap ever. They're into it. But the Christians are like this. Yeah, I'm saved, so what? You might want to try it. I don't know. Probably not your thing. Wrong! This is a thing for everybody. Everybody should have this hope. Everybody should have this sweet peace that you get everlasting life. That you get your sins washed away. That you get God's Spirit as a gift to be with you. wherever Jesus said, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I don't leave you as orphans. He says, I'll send my Holy Ghost, my Holy Spirit to you, and He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll comfort you. How many of you guys know the comfort of God's Spirit? I mean, there's something about His Spirit. He can comfort us when no one else can. His Spirit can comfort our spirit inside. Man, there's times we need it. And we should be able to tell people, like, just with love, hey, Seriously, man, this is the best thing. This is better than Amway. You need this. You need to look to the cross. And if they go, well, well, who are you? I'm just a fool he uses. Don't worry about that. I only got chosen because God just has a funny sense of humor. But if he can save me, guess what? See, this is the best part. I can with all confidence tell you, if he can save me, I look around and go, you guys are all easy. Like, no problem. And that gives me great comfort. That makes me go, oh, that's why you picked me, right? So like when I make a goal, everyone goes, it wasn't him. Pretty sure there's a really big God if he could do that. Whenever the Lord does some great thing, people don't go, well, it's Izzy that did it. They go, it's got to be a really big God. I mean, I'm sure of it. There's a God in heaven if Izzy's on the team. And you know what? I get the privilege to say, amen. I want you to know in this, let's be at least a little excited about the good news that we have so people don't go, oh, yeah, I've met some Christians. They're a real downer. Their whole message, they're not really into it. I don't think they really think their product's worth anything. Because we ain't selling. We're giving. But some people treat the gospel like it's got cooties or something or it's bad. And no wonder the people aren't wanting the salvation because they're not getting to hear the sweetness. They're not getting to hear, how good did it feel when you found out 
total clean slate. All good. Starting over. That's a great feeling. That's better than anything that I know down on this earth. And yet, the Christians don't tell people about it. Why? Don't they deserve to get to feel that feeling too? The joy of their salvation? Don't they need to feel that forgiveness? That cleansing, that complete cleansing? Sure. That's a joy. A joy beyond all joys. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. Our Lord is an awesome redeemer.